Our New Testament reading this evening is Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 18. This is God's very word. Continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. Meanwhile, praying also for us, that God would open to us a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in chains, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward those who are outside, redeeming the time. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. Tychicus, a beloved brother, a faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord, will tell you all the news about me. I am sending him to you for this very purpose, that he may know your circumstances and comfort your hearts. With Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they will make known to you all things which are happening here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you with Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, about whom you received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice. These are my only fellow workers for the kingdom of God, who are of the circumcision. They have proved to be a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a bondservant of Christ, greets you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers, that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has a great zeal for you and those who are in Laodicea and those in Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas greet you. Greet the brethren who are in Laodicea, and Nymphus, and the church that is in his house. Now when this epistle is read among you, see that it is read also in the church of the Laodiceans, and that you likewise read the epistle from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord, that you may fulfill it. This salutation, by my own hand, Paul. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Amen. Let's pray together. Our God and Father, again we ask that your uh, Spirit would open our hearts to receive your Word, shine the light of your Word into them, uh, that we might see more of our Savior and learn to follow him more closely. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Is the Gospel of Christ advancing? Is it advancing here in Limington? Is it advancing uh, through the work of our denomination, through the OPC? Is it advancing in our state, in this country? Is it, is it advancing through other faithful churches? Are we seeing growth in the gospel of Christ? Uh, or are we seeing decline? Are we seeing uh, a decline, a, a shrinking of the gospel's influence in our country, in our world? I think often, if, we, if we're thinking about that question, we have a feeling that it's not, at least, at least in our uh, situation and circumstances. It often looks like the church and the gospel the church proclaims is on the defensive. Uh, we, we look at the way the culture is going, the, the secularism, the accelerating pace of, of the so-called sexual revolution, uh, uh, the, the decline of the church's voice and influence in the public square especially. Uh, the increasing bias against religious freedom or, or, or the church and the gospel. We look at these things and we feel like the gospel is not advancing. It's not going from strength to strength. It looks like it's going from weakness to more weakness. And there's a sense in which that's true. 
in, in which the, we are under the pressures of things that, that, that are causing our influence, perhaps, to decline. And we've been hearing in Revelation about some of this, about, about how the church is going to face persecution and is going to suffer and dwindle. Persecution is par for the course, and, and weakness is too. And that's, that's a mark of the church since its very beginning until now. Uh, but from another pers- perspective, um, we don't see decline, and we shouldn't expect to. From another perspective, we see the gospel advancing, going forth with power. Listen to how Paul began this letter to the Colossians. Uh, Colossians 1, verses 3 through 7, as he begins the letter, um, it has many parallels to the passage uh, that, that we just read from Colossians 4 at the end of the letter. There in, in Colossians 1, Paul is talking about praying continually for the saints, even as he calls them to pray here in chapter 4. Uh, he talks about a faithful servant of the gospel, Epaphras, even as he lifts out other faithful servants of the gospel here at the end of the letter. And, and in between, he says this. Listen to, to these words from Colossians 1. We heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of which you heard before in the word of truth of the gospel, which has come to you as it has also in all the world and is bringing forth fruit. Some Greek manuscripts add, and increasing there, as it also is among you since the day you heard and knew the grace of God and truth. Right there, Paul, at the beginning of this letter, seems to write a sentence which looks like an exaggeration. He says, the gospel has gone forth to the whole world and is bearing fruit and increasing. And we can say, well, Paul, we're, we're, we're 2,000 years on and we still haven't gotten the gospel to the whole world. What do you mean when you say the gospel has gone to the whole world? here in Colossians. Well, yes, in Paul's time, we see the exploding popularity of Christianity as it, as it does uh, catch on like wildfire and spread through the Roman Empire, but still, it's, just a, it's barely a blip on the radar from the world's perspective by the time of Paul. But Paul says, my perspective is not the world's perspective. My perspective is formed by God and His Word, and, and His Word says, when Christ comes and pours out His Spirit... The gospel is going forth to the nations with power, with awesome power. That's what we read about earlier in Psalm 67. Let all the nations be glad and praise the Lord for his salvation. So Paul doesn't have his eye so much on the powers that be as he does his eye on the purpose of God. And the might of Rome, the might that has him in chains as he writes this letter, is no match for God's purposes and God's power. And God's purpose, Paul knows, is that the gospel advance. And if that's God's purpose, nothing will thwart it. And brothers and sisters, the advance of the gospel that we see, for example, in the book of Acts, through the ministry of Paul and the other apostles, does not stop when, when Luke closes the book, writes the last sentence there of the book of Acts. It's not something that stopped with the apostles. It's something that Christ is continuing to do. As he, as he works by his Spirit, he advances the gospel through his church. And Paul, Paul here compares the gospel advance in Colossians 1.6 with the, the first creation in Genesis 1. And it's as though he's saying, you can no more stop the, 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 the new creation with the spread of the gospel than you could have stopped the first one. That's, that's how Paul starts the book of Colossians. I wanted to bring that back to mind uh, because we're closing out the book of Colossians this evening, and there's some parallels here that we see at the end of the book. But Paul's not just repeating himself as he comes to the end here in chapter 4. Instead of describing here for us the inevitable advance of the gospel, 
He's actually here calling the Colossians to play their part in that advance. He's calling them to pray and to work for the spread of the gospel. He's saying God's gospel is advancing by God's power. So now you get to work spreading that gospel by God's power, praying for the advance of the gospel. And Paul there is following after Christ himself in the words of the Great Commission. Christ says, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. So it's a fitting close here. It's a fitting close to the book of Colossians. Paul's corrected the false teaching of the Colossian church. He's reminded them of Christ's sufficiency for them in everything. He's called them to maturity in Christ. He's called them to put off the old man, put on the new man, to be who they are in Christ. And and now in closing, he's saying, go out and give yourselves to the spread of the gospel. Are we doing that? That's the challenge that God gives us in this text. And that's how the passage here tonight begins in verses 2 through 6 with a challenge to gospel service. That's our first point. We, too, are called to spread the gospel. And we get two ways here that we're to, to, to spread the gospel. Paul says to pray for it and to work for it. To pray, to work. First, he says we are to pray for it. That's how he starts in verse 2. Continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. So he says pray. And then he gives us all these ways that we are supposed to pray, these things that should characterize our praying. He says pray continually. Make it, make it the rhythm of your life, like, like your meals. You don't skip them. They, you, they happen at the same time each day. It, you, it's, it's a daily habit, a priority that you do. Make your praying like that, Paul says. Pray by yourself. Pray in your marriages, in your families, and in the church. Pray continually. He also says pray earnestly. That's the next thing he says. The, the word means devote yourself to prayer. Uh, don't, don't pray half-heartedly uh, without focusing on it and, and don't be lazy in it. Don't, don't pray just out of habit, but pray devotedly and seriously and intentionally. I think of uh, Jacob wrestling with the Lord. Um, that's the way we should think of prayer, as, as, as devoting ourselves to it earnestly as we seek the Lord's favor. So pray continually, pray earnestly. He also says, pray with vigilance. So stay alert and awake in your praying, like, like, like a sentinel, like, like a watchman, right? alert for an attack from the enemy, watching out for danger, for false teaching, for challenges to the gospel, for, for temptation, being on guard against those things. That's what we're doing as we pray. That's how we are called to pray. And he says, pray thankfully. Don't pray with a sense of how much you are owed, but with, with a sense of just how much God has graciously given you. Pray with a heart full of the gospel. And, and say it out loud. Tell the Lord how much His mercy means to you and how much His, his gospel means to you. It, it's refreshing to our hearts to do this, dear ones. And if we're praying with others, it's refreshing to them to hear it. Hear the riches of the gospel rehearsed yet again and remembered together. This is how we are called to pray, the manner of our praying, continually, earnestly, vigilantly, and thankfully. Do you pray like this, uh, brothers and sisters? It's so easy to say, well, I don't have the time to pray like this. Or, I, I have too many distractions to pray like this. Or, I'm too tired to pray like this. 
But uh, as one pastor I read recently put it, the problems of our prayerlessness, uh, excuse me, the problem of our prayerlessness is not simply with our smartphones or schedules, but with our hearts. Maybe we are too busy. Maybe we are too distracted. But the, the root problem there is our hearts want to be busy and distracted with other things rather than in prayer. There are other times when there are things we do make a priority. There are things we do turn off the notifications on our phone for. Shouldn't prayer with the Lord be one of them? Maybe we are. Maybe we are too tired. But, but there are things we make sure we rest up for. If I have an exam in the morning, I'm going to make sure I get a decent night's sleep. Uh, there are things that we can prioritize enough to make sure we're not too tired to do. There are things that even if we are tired, we'll yet devote ourselves to and work hard on. And shouldn't prayer be one of them? Now, I'm not saying we're all called to be Martin Luther. There's a famous uh, story about Martin Luther is that uh, uh, he, he had a busy schedule, and so he said he had to get up extra early, three hours a day, to pray. And that was Luther. That's, that's not us, is it? Most of us don't have Luther's calling and his gifting. Um, and there are stages of life where it would be irresponsible to pray that much because we've been neglecting the duties God had given us to do. But, but we need to be making uh, an effort in our prayer. Paul, Paul doesn't tell us it has to be three hours plus prayer meeting. But he says, pray continually and earnestly and vigilantly and with thanksgiving. So are we doing these things and are we striving in these things? It's easy to, it's easy to rest on our habits and say, I don't, need to, I don't need to progress in this. I'm doing okay. This is a convicting, convicting reminder for us. This is the manner we are to pray. Let's, let's endeavor after it, dear ones, because it's vital. But this is, this is the manner. What about, what about the matter? What about what Paul wants us to be praying for? Well, we are to pray for all things, but there's a particular focus here, and that's what we see next as Paul goes on in verses 3 through 4. His primary point here is that we pray for the spread of the gospel. That whatever else we pray for, we pray for the advance of Christ's kingdom. And again, he's following Christ here. Think of the Lord's Prayer, the model it gives us. It starts, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. That's the priority in all our prayer requests. That the gospel would advance. So verses 3 to 4, let me read them. Meanwhile, praying also for us, that God would open to us a door for the word, to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in chains, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. So as Paul writes this letter, he's in prison, he's in chains. But as he writes over in Second Timothy, another prison epistle, he says, I am bound with chains as a criminal, but God's word is not bound. So he wants, the, he wants the Colossians to pray similarly here, that God would open a door for the gospel. Not necessarily open a door that Paul might, might be set free. That's not so much Paul's concern. It's that the gospel would go forth, whether he's bound or whether he's not. That, that the gospel would go forward with power and advance, and the kingdom of God would grow. And this is his concern. So he says, pray that I might make the mystery of Christ clear, that it might make it manifest, obvious, clear to people, that I might reveal to people uh, as clearly as possible the mystery of Christ's gospel. Uh, brothers and sisters, if Paul needed the Colossian church to pray that he would make the gospel clear, surely 
uh, our pastor and ministers we know, uh, surely I need your prayer that, that we might make the gospel clear. That we, that we too might, might make the gospel plain in our speech. Clear to people. Manifest to people. So this is one of the great prayer requests that, that we should prioritize. Praying for those who preach the word, proclaim the word. For home missionaries, foreign missionaries, our pastors. Uh, that we would preach the crystal clear gospel of Christ. This is a huge part of the church's responsibility in the advance and spread of the gospel. That the church be a praying church for that advance of the gospel. So, prayer. That's the, that's the first part of the work that we're called to do for the spread of the gospel, is to pray for it. And to pray for ministers and preachers, that they might be clear expositors of, of that gospel. But that's not all that we're called to do. It's, it's probably at least half of it, maybe more. But then Paul goes on and, and he, he says in verses 5 through 6 that we also need to work for the spread of the gospel. And he addresses, his, uh, he addresses here our witness and our walk and then in our words. Or he addresses our witness and our walk and our words. This is, this is our work. This is your work for spreading the gospel. To bear witness to it by your Walk and by your words. Paul says in verse 5, Walk in wisdom toward those who are outside, redeeming the time. He's saying this, Live wisely in such a way that those who do not yet know Christ might be drawn to Christ by your behavior. Might see a reflection of Christ in your behavior. Live, live by God's wisdom. That's been a big theme in Colossians that we might live according not to the wisdom of the world, the, the basic principles and elements of this world's way of thinking and living, but live according to God's heavenly wisdom, to, to live according to His Word, uh, uh, to know it and apply it and, and follow its principles, to live by the wisdom of the gospel of a crucified and risen Savior. Paul says to do that is to, is to redeem the time. We, we have a certain amount of time uh, it won't be long before our time that we've been given is up. We are living in the last days of the church age, which have been the last days since Christ ascended and poured out His Spirit. These are the days in which we must go forth with the gospel and witness to Christ by the way we live. So we need to ask ourselves, uh, does, does your life more reflect the wisdom of the world, the ideas of the world and our culture, the way the culture thinks and lives, or do our lives reflect God's wisdom? The wisdom of trusting in a crucified Savior, following Him in a life of self-denial and service and sacrifice with our eyes fixed on a heavenly reward, not an earthly one. Could someone outside the church look at our, our lives and say, He lives by a different set of values. He, he doesn't value the same things I value. He lives by a different standard and for a different goal than I do. So that's, that's the first part of our work, our witness. It's, it's our walk. But more than this, actions, actions aren't enough in themselves. There's a quote I often hear attributed to uh, St. Francis of Assisi. It says, preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words. And I think there's something to that idea. All right? we, we need to have lives that reflect the gospel. Uh, but, but it's really not a very biblical idea if that's all you say. Because the biblical uh, the Bible calls us to use words, to speak, to be ready to speak. 
The idea here is that, that, that we walk in such a way that people ask questions. We live in so, a way that's so obviously different from the way the world lives that they say, why? And then we can tell them uh, the gospel. Listen to how Paul says this in verse 6. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. So walk in a way, live in a way that people ask questions. What makes you different? This hope that you have that others don't seem to have, that I don't seem to have. And Paul says, be ready to answer those questions. Be ready to speak. Have, have, have words on your tongue. Be gracious in those words. Speak the gospel of God's grace in a gracious way. He says, let your words be seasoned with salt here. Salt's used in the ancient world for flavoring things and for preserving things. And, and our words should have, a, have that flavor of heaven about them and, and, and the life-giving quality of heaven about them. We should, we should speak words uh, that, that sound like they're coming from another world to those who do not know Christ. Do our words taste like the words of one who belongs to the new creation in Christ? Like the words of a citizen of heaven speaking a different language? Well, if, if, if we're going to have words like this, we have to have hearts like this. That's, uh, that's from Colossians 3, too, isn't it? Set your minds on things above, not on things on the earth. That's, that's where we have to start, with, with minds and hearts fixed on Christ in heaven, so that the words that are, that, are, that are flowing out of those minds and hearts are gospel words, heavenly words, that give life, that are a faithful witness to Christ and his gospel. This is the work that the church, that you and I are called to do, to witness to the gospel by our, wor- by our walk and by our words. Well, then at this point, Paul moves from what he's calling the church in Colossae to do and kind of his final instructions to them to serve the advance of the gospel. Uh, and he moves at this point to, to, to verses 7 through 17, and he sends the church all these greetings from fellow workers. And he's giving them some closing instructions mixed in there, and he's showing them the concern he has for them, the love he has for them. But, but as he does this, I think he's showing them examples of the kind of faithful, witness-bearing Christian service he's just described. He's just called the Colossian church to serve Christ through prayer and witness. And now in these closing greetings, he expresses thanks for that, and he holds up examples of that. So let's look now at our second, our second point, gospel servants, verses 7 through 17. Here we get just these brief snapshots of uh, servants of the gospel. Uh, first, Paul mentions uh, two co-workers he had in the gospel that he's sending to the Colossians. He mentions Tychicus first. Uh, Paul calls him a beloved brother, a faithful minister, a fellow servant. Uh, Paul's uh, sending him, I think, as the letter bearer. He's the one who's carrying this letter to the Colossian church. And he's going to let the church there know how Paul's doing, all the things concerning Paul. And, and he's going to find out how the Colossian church is doing. And Paul's confident that he's going to be a comfort to them, uh, an encouragement to them. So there's Tychicus, and then there's also Onesimus. Now, Onesimus is the, the, the slave who ran away from Philemon. Um, and Paul is sending him back now as a newly converted uh, Christian. And, uh, and, and he's been made useful now for Christ's kingdom. Paul, it's interesting, Paul here doesn't mention his status as a slave. He doesn't call him a servant. He calls others in this section servants of Christ. He doesn't call Onesimus, the runaway slave, a servant. He calls him a faithful and beloved brother. And, and Onesimus, too, will, will let them know about Paul's 
circumstances. Both, both these men are playing their part in advancing the gospel. They're, they're, they're not apostles. One of them is a slave. And to us, they're, they're quite obscure. But they're faithful servants of Christ and faithful servants of the gospel. And because of them, the gospel is going forward and advancing. And Paul couldn't have done his work uh, without their support. So their work we see is important. That's, that's what we see first in this section on gospel servants, Tychicus and Onesimus. Then Paul lists out six names, uh, six servants who send greetings to the church in Colossae. Uh, he mentions Aristarchus. Um, he has the honor of being a fellow prisoner with Paul. Then there's Mark, who's a cousin of Barnabas. And both of these men, Aristarchus and Mark, have been with Paul on some of his missionary journeys. They've, they've accompanied him on, on some of his missionary work. Mark, you remember, quit on Paul on an early missionary journey. And, and then when he came back and wanted to serve with Paul again, Paul would not allow it. And, and Barnabas, Mark's cousin, did. He, he took Mark, and they went out and did some missions, uh, missionary journey together. Uh, but, but now this disagreement has been healed. Uh, Mark has proved his reliability now, his trustworthiness now. And Paul mentions him as a useful, helpful co-worker in the gospel. And he mentions Jesus, who is called Justice, as well here. And he points out that these three are members of the circumcision. In other words, these three men are Jews. Uh, the only Jews, he says, who are co-workers with him for the kingdom of God. The only three uh, Jews that are, that are working right with Paul, alongside him in his ministry. And Paul found them a great comfort uh, to know that, that uh, God's promises to his people uh, were, were true. And then Paul mentions Epaphras there. He says he's one of you, so he's from Colossae. He, he's, he's deeply concerned for them as, as, as one of them. The people know him well. He knows them well. And Paul says here that he labors for them. He works for them, especially in prayer, praying they grow up in Christian maturity. He, uh, he's zealous for them. He loves them. He's a faithful servant as well. And then Paul mentions Luke, the beloved physician. Of course, he wrote the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. Um, he also accompanied Paul through much of his missionary journeys and much of the events of Acts. So Luke also is sending greetings to the Colossian church. And then finally we see Demas. Uh, Demas here sending his greetings. And there's a sad note with that one because Demas, of course, will later betray Paul. Uh, here he's serving Christ faithfully, but, but later on in 2 Timothy 4, he will, he will abandon Paul and abandon Christ in love with the present world. It's a reminder to us to, to take heed to ourselves, to w- take careful watch over ourselves. If a co-worker of the Apostle Paul could fall away, uh, surely we must guard our hearts. Well, why does Paul list out all these people here uh, who send greetings to the church? Well, I think he's trying to remind the church, again, of his concern for them and his, his love for them. This is a church he's never been to, and he wants them to know his care and his concern and his love for them as, as uh, a church of Christ. And it's also, I think, to remind the church that, that, that these servants of Christ are serving them and praying for them and, and working for the cause of the gospel. And to hold them up as an example to them of the kind of work that does advance the gospel. It's an everyday sort of work, an ordinary ministry. And, and in light of this, Paul calls the Colossians. Uh, and he tells them to send greetings of their own to, to those around them he, in verses 15 through 17. He calls them to be faithful servants of Christ, to follow in, in uh, his pattern and the pattern of these other gospel servants. 
Uh, specifically, he tells them, pass on the letter that you've the letter to the Colossians that you've you've got now, pass it on to the other churches in the area. Um, The church in Nymphus' house, he mentions, the church in Laodicea. And he says to greet these other churches. He tells them to encourage this man named Archippus. Seems like Archippus is a pastor figure here. Paul tells tells them to encourage him to take heed to his ministry that he's received from the Lord, that he might fulfill it. And what we see here is the, the ordinary work of the gospel. It's, it's the work of greeting one another and encouraging one another and praying for one another, speaking God's word to each other. And Paul wants the Colossian church to see this is their part in spreading the gospel and working for it. This is God's cause and mission, and he does it through the ordinary acts of faithfulness and obedience of, of uh, our encouragement of each other in the faith. So, brothers and sisters, are we, are we following in this same example? Do we see ourselves as servants of the gospel of Christ? That's who I am. I'm a, I'm a servant of Christ. And my life has been commissioned by Christ in service to him for the sake of his gospel. Whether or not I'm a missionary or a minister, whatever God's called me to, he's also called me to this, to serve him faithfully and to serve the spread of his gospel in, in these ordinary, everyday, and essential ways. That's what we see here uh, with these gospel servants in verses 7 through 17. And then Paul uh, finishes the letter. After these other greetings, this catalog of, of gospel servants here, and he gives this gospel greeting of his own in verse 18. He says, This salutation by my own hand, Paul, remember my chains. Grace be with you. Amen. This is our third point as we look at Paul's closing greeting, the gospel salutation here in verse 18. So after all these greetings he's listed, Paul adds his own. And um, as he does so, uh, uh, he does a few things. First, he he writes it with his own hand. The rest of the letter was probably written by a scribe as Paul dictated it to him. but, But here Paul signs his name. It's a personal note. He wants, again, for the Colossians to know his concern, his personal interest in them. It's also a reminder to them of his authority as an apostle of Christ. The apostle Paul is a, is a spokesman in a, in a special way for Christ, with the very authority of Christ, as he writes this inspired word of God to the church. And this is the, the kind of concern that, that, uh, that, that ministers of the gospel, servants of Christ, should have for the churches and the lives of God's people. So then Paul also says, uh, remember my chains. He's saying to them, I've remembered you. Uh, now please remember me, too. Remember what I'm suffering for the sake of the gospel for your sake, and pray for me. Pray I might be faithful, no matter the cost. Brothers and sisters, again, as, as Paul asks the Colossians to remember him, we should remember one another, and remember our ministers and those who serve us in the gospel, and, and pray for them. Remember especially those who are suffering persecution and in chains, for the sake of Christ. We're, we are told in, in Scripture to remember those in prison as, as though in prison with them and to pray for them. So Paul says uh, next, his closing greeting, he says, Grace be with you. Amen. Now those are, those are Paul's closing words in almost all of his letters. And it's not just a wish or a prayer. It's, it's a blessing. It's a, it's a blessing coming with the very authority of God on his people as he says, Grace be with you. He's speaking in God's place to God's people. In a sense, he's like the priest of the Old Testament in Numbers chapter 6, standing up and and blessing the people with God's word of grace and peace 
That's what Paul's doing as a minister of the new covenant. And that word from God, grace to you, is, is, is the word that changes everything. It's how Paul began the letter, Colossians 1-2, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul began with grace and now he ends with grace. And everything he said this whole time has been encompassed between these bookends of grace to you. And, and, and dear ones, this is the point. The gospel of God's grace to us in Christ is the beginning and the end of everything for us. We have passed from wrath to grace. There's been, a, there's been a total change in who we are. The old me has died forever. The new me is alive with Christ forever. I'm a new man now. I'm, I'm part of the new creation now. And, and, and the banner over, the, the category of the new creation is grace. It's God's grace to us. Every single day of your life and my life is lived out under the grace of God. We are so quick to go back to the old ways of, of, of thinking and living, the old habits and legalism and, and moralism and self-sufficiency and pride um, and, and guilt-bearing and living under the law. But that's not who we are now. Grace dominates and defines everything that we are now. I'm in Christ. His gospel isn't just a set of beliefs I ascribe to. It's, it's my whole life. So as Paul closes and he says, grace to you, that's what he wants for the Colossians. That's what the Spirit inspiring these words wants for you and for me. To see that my whole life is under the grace of God in Christ. So brothers and sisters, even as Paul wrote to the Colossians here, and he's calling them to, to live out their lives under the gospel, encouraging them with reminder of the gospel. I would call you to this as well. Live under that gospel. Live in Christ and by His grace. And, and as we serve Christ in the advance of His gospel, don't forget that, that even though this world looks from the here and now perspective as though the, it's all going downhill and the gospel's declining, don't forget that God's purpose of His gospel is continuing to advance and to triumph according to His will. And now let us play our part by His grace to serve that gospel by our praying, by our witnessing, our, our walking, and our working. Let's pray. Our 